0: Hi, this is Jim Swilly. welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron, now let me help you discover yours. Welcome to the Metron Live podcast, coming to you from Metron. Uh, people who are here live, would you please welcome the podcast people, let them know we're glad they're listening. Hello, podcast people. As always, thank you, Charles, for uh, consistently helping with this. We have the best tech team in the world. Y'all come on in. Uh, I am going to start a series today, and uh, I am i know it's the word for us this month, and it's been confirmed in the mouth of two or three witnesses, even this morning. Um, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, I'm taking my title... From uh, Psalm 139, verse 14, you may be more, you're probably more familiar with the uh, King James Version that says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I want to look a little deeper into what that word means so that the, the title is Awesomely Wonderfully Made, Unlocking Self-Esteem by Discovering the Miracle of You. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Psalm 139. David was a very passionate man. Uh, he was passionate in the physical. It got him into a lot of trouble. He was also passionate toward God. Uh, he was a musician. He was very emotional. Um, probably if he were here today and went to a, a professional, he would be diagnosed as uh, bipolar. Uh, you can see dramatic mood swings in his, um, in, his, his psalms that he wrote he didn't write all of the psalms but he wrote the, the majority of them and um you know the psalms were all songs what we read now are the lyrics the songs that he wrote um the thing about psalm 139 you know it ends i don't remember exactly how many verses are in it but it ends with the famous verse that says search me O god and see if there's any wicked way in me we used to sing a song in the church Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior. Know my it was it was a whole thing about being introspective. Um this is a classic example of why everything should be read in context. Because when you become too introspective, uh you can take on things like self-blame that might be unnecessary. Um introspection always has to be balanced with self-confidence. And when you read all of Psalm 139, David's like full of himself in this. I mean, he's he's like, um, uh, he says, I know you know you know my down-sitting and my uprising. Yeah, There's not a word in my tongue that you don't know it altogether. Where can I go from your presence? I mean, it, it, basically Psalm 139 is, I don't know about y'all, but I know God loves me. Now, he may like y'all, but he's crazy about I me. Mean, I mean, that's where he's coming from. And it's in that context that he says, that being said, search me and see if there's, anything, if there, if there's any room for improvement. So I want to show you, this is um, verse 14 from the uh, Tree of Life version. It's where he says, um, uh, I praise you, for I am awesomely wonderfully made, wonderful are your works, and my soul knows that very well. The reason I want to really point out this other translation, I grew up hearing people say I'm um, fearfully and wonderfully made, and you have to understand that Elizabethan English, w- the word fear really meant awe. Uh, like when, you, when when, we read the verse, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The better translation is The awe of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Being afraid of God doesn't necessarily make you wise. Realizing how awesome God is, is the beginning of wisdom. So, uh, I love the King James, but a lot of people really misunderstand this archaic language of these men that got together in 1603 to put together what we call the King James Version, which came out in 1611. When people say, it's the authorized version no unless you lived in England in the 17th century it is not the authorized version it's one it's not even the first english translation uh but it's the most well known and uh, i grew up here and people say i don't believe in all this new fangled interpretation If the and I, i'm swear to, i've heard this if the king james version was good enough for jesus and the disciples it's good enough for me and i guess people think Jesus was a British white man who lived in the 17th century, which he was not. Uh, I remember hearing a teaching where somebody said, uh, children are supposed to suffer because Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. And the word suffer from archaic English just means allow. Lo- Long-suffering is long allowance. He wasn't talking about suffering in the modern sense. So you really have to understand words. Words affect everything. And if you get a wrong word about something, you can miss an entire message. So when he says, I praise you for I am awesomely, wonderfully made, wonderful are your works, what he's saying is, is, I know that even, even my birth was awesome. My mother's pregnancy with me was awesome. My childhood was awesome. He's basically saying, everything about me is awesome. David... Did not have low self-esteem um, at all. Um, and then let me, read, let me show you the same verse out of the voice translation. <clears throat> Psalm 139, 14. He says, I will offer you my grateful heart for I am your unique creation filled with wonder and awe. I like this one too. You have a- approached even the smallest details with excellence. Your works are wonderful. I carry this knowledge deep within my soul. And what was interesting is, I I don't scroll the feed a lot, but I was scrolling just about an hour ago, and I noticed, um, you all know my friend Howie, he may be streaming today. He just posted this uh, quote I'd never seen before by Bill Bryson. It says, for you to be here now, uh, trillions of drifting atoms had to somehow assemble in an intricate and intriguingly obliging manner to create you, it's an arrangement so specialized and particular that it has never been tried before and will only exist once. For the supremely agreeable but generally underappreciated ston- state known as existence, I, I've posted similar things to that. But I think that's really cool. It's it's basically saying you're the the fact that. All these trillions of atoms came together, and, and you know the whole thing about in conception. You know, there's maybe millions of sperm cells released, and only one survives to uh, to penetrate the egg cell. And the very fact the very fact that you were born means you're already way ahead of the curve. <laughs> I mean, you were born with a story already. The fact that you were born means you already are. Not only a survivor, but an overcomer. So, you, so Bishop, really, this we're just talking about self-esteem this month. Is, is that really so anointed? No, let me tell you. You need what I'm going to tell you this month. You need what I'm going to tell you today. Um, and I'm going to get really real with you about some stuff. Okay. Um, let me let me just go through this, and l- let me show you the outline I'm working with, and then I want to get I want to get really real with you. This is Isaiah forty-three twenty-six in the Amplified Classic. And it says, Put me in remembrance. Remind me of your merits. Let us plead and argue together. Set forth your case that you may be justified and proved right. This verse really stands out to me because it's so out of character with most um, Judeo-Christian concepts. Of remind me of your merits. Um, we we've watched a lot of movies this weekend, and um uh where were, oh we New Year's Day, we were with uh my aunt and uncle and Don had mentioned the movie Moonstruck, how much he liked it. I said, anytime it's on, I end up watching it again. I can't not watch it. And you know what was really interesting about y'all know Moonstruck with the with the Cher one, best actors for it? I thought this was interesting. This has nothing to do with what I'm teaching, but I'm it, I'm going to save it for something else. But you know, in, in the in the movie, you know, the Nicolas Cage takes her to the Metropolitan Opera and that's where she sees that her dad's there with another woman and, and uh I don't know if it's Madame Butterfly they went to see, but anyway, it, the the opera factors very much into the story. And in the Originally when they did it they you know the now when you see the movie it starts with uh Dean Martin singing When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie Samore and it's got it, you know it sort of gets you in the mood for it. they originally they started the movie playing uh an aria from the opera. And when they showed it to test audiences nobody laughed. Like it was very like the that the dialogue, you know, like really funny lines. Like when, uh, Cher goes to her mother's Olympia Dukakis and she says, Hey, Ma, she wakes her up and she goes, Who died? And, and she goes, Nobody died. I'm going to marry Johnny Camar Camareri. And she says, Do you love him, Loretta? And she said, No, Ma. And she says, Good. Cause when you love them, they can drive you crazy. They drive you crazy because they know they can't. Olympia Dukakis, uh, Oscar for it too. It's just great dialogue. Very well written. Um, but, um, when they showed it starting with the opera, nobody laughed. Every, it's like it set the tone. So when those family dynamics were, uh, you know, they were joking around, it just sounded too serious. So they redid it with Dean Martin uh, starting, it, and everybody's howling with laughter. I thought that's really interesting how much music gives you a cue. has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But um, we were watching... Um, uh, Moonstruck yesterday, and why was I bringing that up? What did that have to do with what I'm talking about? Because we've watched a lot of movies this weekend. I was talking about you being wonderfully made. Yes. See? That's why y'all should be here every Sunday. Yes, because when there, that final scene... Well, the the confession, Catholic confession is in it a couple of times. Because, you know, she sleeps with her fiance's brother. And she goes, (laughs) I love the shot because it just shows the priest's hands in the confession. And she goes, "Uh, Forgive me, Father, for I've sinned. She's, I I bounced a check at the liquor store. And she's, I I slept with my fiance's brother. And then she did something else. And he says, Well, that's all that other stuff is fine, Loretta. But you see his finger. He goes, But. Go back to the thing about you sleeping with your brother's fian your fiance's brother, and she and she goes, oh, like I was hoping you, you know." And he makes her say, "Marries," but he says, "Loretta, think about your life." And that's a, a a story. That's a theme in the story a lot. The mother says, "What are you doing with your life? Your life's going down the toilet." That you hear that a lot. Uh, so confessions in that. But then in the final scene, uh, the the mom confronts. Uh, the dad, about this other woman that he's seeing. She, and he, she says, I want you to stop seeing her. And and he agrees. The last scene is a classic. He goes, all right. And she goes, and go to confession. And um, there's, you know, so much of uh, religion is about the culpa, the repentance, the, I mean, I know in the Pentecostal church, we were big on it. We were big on going to the altar a lot and crying a lot, and having a lot of godly sorrow, and praying through, and when you finally prayed through, we might need to take you back again, because we're not sure you cried enough, and there was just a lot of self-blame, and a lot of, I'm no good, and I'm always disappointing God, and you, you hear it, even in modern churches, you hear it um, in, reflected in the lyrics of, Uh, like even praise songs you know there was uh when I had my for the years 30 years I was at church of the now I never micromanaged my um um music guys and uh Jimmy Mayo was for the majority of that time he he was with me the longest I never told him what you know I, I believe in hiring somebody and letting them do their thing but I would once in a while I would say I'm not telling you not to do this song but Like when you do songs like "A Hopeless Case," but except for grace, I said, "I I know, I know that sounds good, but I don't like the vibe that it gives everybody." Because I don't, I don't believe I'm a hopeless case. And I would just there's people that I knew their story so well. I would see them sing that song, and when they said, "I'm a hopeless case," I would think, "Oh, you're, you're identifying with that way more than you need to." we're not taking anything away from Jesus, we love Jesus, but to say that there's, even when Paul says, in my flesh dwells no good thing, I'm like, Paul, that's a little over the top, I mean, you you know, we all have room for improvement, but really, no good thing, I mean, I've never met anybody that had like, no redeeming quality. <laughs> I mean, even the worst person you've ever met has something. You say, well, at least I can say that about him. Paul's like, nope, no good thing. And that, there's too much of that um, in the concept of traditional Christianity. And you know why I really hate it more than any reason other reason? I remember when, you know, we started challenging conventional ideas of hell and eternal torment and that sort of thing. A lot of people really had a hard time with it because subconsciously, the idea of hell kept them in line. And um, I, I got to where I just wouldn't have this argument anymore because, you know, it would always come up, are you telling me Hitler's in heaven? I'm like, are we really going to have the is Hitler in heaven conversation again? Because there's no way to win. There's just, it's, it sounds too absurd to think about Hitler walking around with Elijah and Moses. <laughs> like, it just, it's just too out there. Um, and what, this is what would always be said is like, well, he, he could be in heaven if he repented, if he asked Jesus to forgive him. And let me tell you the problem with that. Nothing against the idea of forgiveness, but when everything is built on nothing but the grace of God, it creates a culture of bad behavior where you can kill six million Jews and say, oops, my bad, Jesus forgive me. Like, okay, now you're going to heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? I I don't mean to, I'm not dissing the atonement or the blood or any of that. I understand the whole he was wounded for our transgressions concept. But when you think it's not about me, it's all about Jesus, it just gets you off the hook too much. Oh, this is, oh, I got to take you all back to kindergarten. Don't make me, don't make me quote the classic uh, Leona quote when she says, "She says we can't go back to kindergarten and listen to that ch- teaching. We're grown folks." <laughs> I, I always, you know, Leona told me a few days before she crossed over. She said, "You know, even if I'm not here, I'm going to be with you. So I'm always going to be at Metron. So I always feel like she's in here somewhere." Um, it'd be funny if the lights went out right now. <laughs> That actually did happen to us, was it uh, Christmas night? We were at my mom's house, and we were talking about something. It was something that I know my dad would have felt strongly about, and all the power went out just for a few seconds. And he then it came back on and said, well, okay. I guess he just weighed in on his, <laughs> his opinion. Um, I like this because he's saying, don't just tell me how bad you are. Um, be more like David uh, where you're saying, I'm wonderfully made. There's not a word in my tongue that you don't know it all together. Uh, you know my down sitting and my uprising. Like if your whole concept is based on being afraid of God and running through the garden of Gethsemane trying to find some ease to cover yourself with, you're never you never develop a relationship with God and you don't you don't really develop things like integrity and character and just being a good person. I don't know about y'all, but I've, I've, known, I've mostly known Christians my whole life. The majority of people I've known have been church-going Christians. And I know a lot of really bad people. Now look, if, if you're addicted to BS today, you're going to hate this sermon. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. So if you're, if you got some religious stuff to, get to work through, I'm really going to piss you off. So just, just giving you a heads up. As a matter of fact, the matter you get at what I'm going to say today is going to determine how religious you still are. Like if you leave here furious at what I'm saying, you are officially a Pharisee. Just say, what am I? You know, you don't have to take any test on Facebook and say, what, what am I? What sign, sign am I? You're under the sign of the Sanhedrin court. That's what you are. So I'm just letting you know. If you walk out of here saying, that may have been his best sermon, then you're free. <laughs> and you're full of the Spirit. So I don't know. That's it, on you. This is on you. You don't have to tell me. Um, I'm not saying that's true for everybody, but I wish I could tell you that every Christian I grew up with was the most loving, kindest, non-judgmental, sweet, helpful, uh, loved poor people and fed the hungry. I wish I could tell you that's the case. Maybe y'all knew a better class of them. I knew people that quoted a lot of scripture and gossiped all the time. And were super judgmental about everybody. Oh, she ain't saved. She couldn't come in here dressed like that if she was saved. Like That's the kind of stuff I grew up with. I grew up with we're going to go to the movies. There's nothing wrong with going to the movies, but don't tell anybody we went to the movies because it's going to, you know, sister so-and-so in the church may not like it. I knew a, a lot about protecting my dad's job security. Like this isn't This isn't what we think is right, but everybody else is going to have an opinion about it. So you learn how to be on Sunday morning that might not be at all like you are on Saturday night. Y'all feel me? What's that get to do with self-esteem? I'm getting to it. Let me show you uh, this quote. Um by Brene Brown it says owning our story can be hard but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives running from it now um, (laughs) this weekend besides watching Moonstruck um, I mean our weekends basically we our weekends are not partying our weekends are chilling out especially for him because he you know he's up every morning at five o'clock and you know I'm really happy for let's create an environment where we can just sit in these recliners and I got all the I got all the apps I'm like I don't know is that on Hulu or Prime I don't you know I got to find it and that's you know when we first got together it was you know let's go out now where we going now it's like do we have to go out (laughs) can we stay in Y'all know how it is. Like, all right, we'll go, but I'm just gonna ball cap it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna do the whole lights, hair, and makeup, and you know, like bring in the the whole entree. Like, I'm, I'm not doing all that. And um, so we we watched a lot of stuff. And yesterday, <laughs> um, y'all know who this um, Gypsy Rose Blanchard is? This girl that. Her mother, there's this, this um, mental disorder called Munchausen by proxy, and it's when a parent will fake the disease of a child so that they get the attention by being the, the, the caretaker. And she just, the real hurt, she just got out of prison this week. And but, so there's a lot of stuff. I, there's a, a documentary on that I, I've watched the first two things about that because she had a boyfriend that murdered the, the mother. And it's a, and I, I, Dr. Phil did a whole uh, podcast series about it a couple of years ago. I listened to all that. I mean, it's, it's one of those stories you're like, why am I listening to this? But it, I'm so shocked and horrified and fascinated and like, I, I just am. I know y'all were all watching TBN. Uh, <laughs> I'm a good boy. I actually watched TBN with my mom one night recently. I said, I'm not going to watch Fox News with you, but I'll watch TBN. I'll, I'll, I'll meet you halfway. And we watched a couple of things. It was okay till we got to Jan, John Ankerberg. And I'm like, Mom, I got to draw the line at John Ankerberg. Now, I've, uh, I was fine with the previous ones, but if we play him you're going to get into it and we're not we're not going to be happy so she, she was fine um so we there's a um a uh series that was made about it two or three years ago Patricia Arquette plays the mother and I, I like her a lot she's a really good actress. and um the one thing I liked about this one is at, at the, because the whole time you're seeing, I mean, basically she told her daughter that she had cancer and all this stuff that she didn't have, that she had to be in a wheelchair, which was not true. And they, they, you know, people gave them all kinds of money and, you know, it, it, it's, it's a horrible story. It's a horrible, depressing story. You should watch it. Uh, <laughs> So the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, how did she, how did this mother become this messed up? And in this one, I don't know how much license they took with it, but in the final episode, they show, I don't know if you know who Margot Martindale is, this actress, kind of, kind of heavy set white woman that's kind of country, but she's really good character actress. I like her a lot. She plays the mother, and they show when Dee Dee brought Gypsy home from the hospital and how the, what the mother did to her. And you're like, oh, okay, now it makes a little more sense. The mother really, I won't tell you how I phrased it yesterday, something upped her head, and so she passes it on. So it's the whole thing about generational curses. And then in the afternoon, <laughs> we, we went out to the movies, and we went to see uh, the Iron Claw. It's a story about these wrestlers from Texas, they were real popular in the seventies. The Von Erich brothers, it was four of them, and they just had horrible tragedies of the of the four of them. Two of them committed suicide, and one of them, um, yeah, it was a real real upbeat weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but it factors into what, what I'm talking about today. It, it, what I'm going to tell you, and when I put this in context, makes this make extra sense. So um, uh, we the the movie is called the iron claw. Oh, one of the brothers uh who's a wrestler has a motorcycle accident and loses part of his leg and his foot and um it was just the whole thing was about they thought they they believed they had a family curse and they talked about it all the time. So the family curse is just kind of it's one of those things where like if y'all stop talking about being cursed, maybe you wouldn't be cursed so much. Anyway, the the story is about their dad was a wrestler who never really achieved what he wanted to in wrestling, and so he sort of lives vicariously through the sons. And he has this hole called the Iron Claw, I don't know how he would grab people when they were wrestling, and you know, he would just win. I mean, like it was for some reason there was something they couldn't get out of the, the clutches of the iron claw. But in the movie you can tell it's a metaphor for how much the dad had gotten inside these guys' heads because the Iron Claw was now, this is what I got out. I don't know if you, we were, it was so cold in that theater, I don't know if we got anything out of it. But uh, it was, it was like a refrigerator in there. I, I was like, should we get our money back? And he said, no, we're into it this far. Let's let's do it. But um, it had to do with the Iron Claw being like now a mindset. And the the sons, he pitted them against each other and, and uh, they could never be good enough, and they were trying to always fulfill his dream for his life, and he was like really, you know, not abusive, but just a, a jerk of a father. <laughs> after, after watching, the first part of the day, watching uh, Gypsy, horrible mother, and then going to see the Iron Claw's horrible father. I said, well, this is clearly a theme for the day. We're going to watch movies about monstrous parents who mess you up. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Um, Now, how did that translate into this? Okay. If I may, can I refer to one more movie? Because we were talking about Eddie, he went to see the the new *Color Purple* movie a second time yesterday, which is really good, definitely worth seeing. But in the in the original movie that came out in '85, you remember that scene where um, it's where Seely meets Shug Avery for the first time, and she's in the bathtub and she's uh, she, she's washing her hair, and they she starts singing she starts humming the song that became *Sister*, and she, she that's why she dedicates it to Celie because she says she scratched it out of my head. But in the in the movie uh she's Shug Avery says to Seely uh she says, You got cheering? And she says, Yeah, I got two. And uh she says, But I don't know where they are. And she says, uh, I don't know any children that end up good without no Paul. Uh and then she says uh she sits up in the bathroom, and she goes My Paul love me. I know he loves me, but then she goes, "Oh, he don't know it. And, and it's like really, Mar- Margaret Avery's the woman that played her in the original. And it's, it's a very powerful scene. And, um, you know, I'm thinking about um, all the counseling I've done in the last half century plus. I'm, in, I'm, I'm now into a, the second half of a century of uh, ministry. And I can't tell you, I, I, I can't say it's the majority of my counseling, but it's been such a significant part of it that it's, it's like a major thing of counseling with people who are messed up over something apparent said or did or didn't say or didn't do i can't tell you how many adults i have counseled with i i'm going to say the majority of the counseling i've done has been adults trying to work out childhood issues did you find that in your ministry days um now i'm not trying to get us all in a therapy session like where are we going with this bishop we're all going to be in a fetal position talking. No. This is this is kind of where I'm at on this, um, and it's not just it's not just parents, but when you're when you're young and impressionable and your mind is still malleable, the words of authority figures are c- can profoundly affect you, positively or negatively. You know, Oprah says that uh, the whole she credits her entire success to a teacher she had in fifth grade she said you know i'm not going to tell you all of the Oprah story but it's not it's not a happy story i mean it's a, it's a very sad bleak existence and she said when she was in i believe she said fifth grade she stood up to give an oral report and you know how what what a great communicator is. I mean, the way a person like Oprah communicates, you I mean, you can't really teach that. Like like she's just an effective public speaker. I mean, you, she just is. But she said that she gave the oral report, and the teacher said, "Oprah, you're really good talking in front of a group. You should consider going into broadcasting." Now that seems like a simple thing, but she says, "As God is my witness." Nobody in my life had ever said anything positive to me, ever. So to have an authority figure affirm me in front of my peers and really speak prophetically over me, she said it became the, as the French say, the raison d'etre. Of my, I mean, it was, it was everything and everything became about fulfilling that. Um, And so, I don't want to make this just about childhood trauma, because I don't think, I think that's a little too easy. But I will tell you this, there are things that we carry around on the inside of us that come from things that other people have said to us, significant people in our lives, that we have never processed, and... On some level, actually agreed with, or it would not have affected us so deeply. I told you I'm going to go deep today, so be prepared. I mean, if somebody says something really, really hurtful to you and it really gets to you, you got to examine why did I, why did that affect me so much? Do I, I mean, we're all wired for agreement. So did they say something to me and I'm, I'm so afraid that is the truth that now that's really affected me. What's this got to do with self-esteem and why is it important? Well, I believe that... I can't say this is the reason all relationships go badly, but I'll tell you it's the reason a lot of them go badly, is people don't feel worthy of love, Um, they stay in bad relationships because they think this is the best I'm ever going to do. There are people who are punishing themselves for, um, something they perceive is wrong. Um, I, I listen very carefully, but, uh, because I'm in a, I'm in a place with my mom where I've got to really decide. You know, what are we? Am I going to hire a caretaker or you know, like i And I I need for Jared to get out of her house so I can. Like I've I've told him this for the last year. As soon as you get out, I'll step up and we'll figure out what we're going to do. But I can't. While you're there, you're feeling a uh, a need, and which I would have never asked you to do, but you are there. And, you know, during the movie, he's in California, but during the movie yesterday, she was texting me saying, when's Jared going to be back? And I'm like, I don't know. Please don't power text him. You know, he'll be back when he's back. Um, But he said something early on, because, you know, for years, the the band that Jared's in, they started that band when he was in uh, high school. He and his best high school friend. And so they've been... Traveling around the world doing this, that's 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 been his his living for thirty years. And um has he's done well. Um but for years, you know, between him being on tour all the time and dealing with addiction, we would just go long periods of time and not only not see him, but not even know where he was. I I mean I I remember uh i just told him this the other night uh in the middle of the night one night i got a call from someone that says hey i just want you to know jared's okay and i said who is this and why wouldn't he be okay oh i'm in new york and he's been in a hospital for the last two or three weeks because a guy smashed a bottle over his head in a bar fight and he's had a concussion i'm like who are you where where can i find like that's the kind that's what we lived with for years um you know, it, I, I had years of when the phone would ring. Please don't tell me this is going to be, you know, what I think it could be. I don't know if you've ever had a a child like that, but it's like you never relax because it's always it, you just live on the edge. I remember one time, so any of y'all that ever visited our house or saw it where we lived in Covington, uh, you know, it had that the house was built in nineteen hundred. It had that. Uh, glass front door with the bevel glass so you could see right into our house three o'clock in the morning one time uh doorbell rings and i look outside the bedroom and it's two cops standing there and i remember counting the steps to the front door it was 23 steps because the the scenarios that you play in your mind Like, what are these guys about to tell me at three o'clock in the morning what it was is somebody had left a parking light on in a car and they said we didn't want your battery to be dead i'm like you know i appreciate it covington cops but for what you just put me through i just had like seven heart attacks on the way to open this door i wish you just let that battery die and y'all just mind y'all's business please don't ring my doorbell three o'clock in the morning again because i that was one of those times where i hadn't heard from jared i'm like i know what you're I, I, this isn't going to be good. This isn't going to be good, and it wasn't about him at all. But I'm saying all that to say, early on, because it, it's 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 been a challenge for him. It's been good for them, both of them, but it's definitely been challenging. And it's the it's the end of a season. It just is, and it's we're a little overdue for it. And. Uh, I mean, if my mom's watching today, I, I, don't be offended. I'm just telling you, I'm just, this is just the truth. Uh, but early on, he said something to me. Uh, I said, I, I said, I would have never asked you to, um, move in because my, my mom's used to being very well taken care of. I mean, you know, she was a child when she got married and she's, you know, sh- there's just a lot of skills that you develop that she never developed. And there's no point in yelling at her about it. It's like she just, that's all she knows. So if you live with her, you take on a lot. You know, it's not her fault. It's just It just is. But he said something early on. He said, I feel like I'm living there. I'm doing penance. And I said, mm, please don't say that word again. I said, Jared, you don't, you don't need to do penance for anything. I said, if you feel like you want to, stay there and help your grandmother. I said, God knows it's a, it's a help to me because I can't move in there. I, can't, I already did that with my dad. I can't do it a second time. I just can't. You know, when you've been through it once, you're like, I, I can't do that a second time. I just can't. I mean, you may think I'm a bad person, but I did it once and it was a nightmare and I can't do it a second time. But when he said penance, I said, take that word out of your vocabulary because nobody should do anything out of I said, now, if you want to say you're making up for lost time for the years that we didn't see you, I'll, I'll grant you that. But I said, you don't owe anybody penance. I mean, quite frankly, with some of, the way, some of the things Jared dealt with as a child, what he was exposed to, I'm, I'm amazed that he's turned out as good as he has. I can say that about all of my kids. I mean, it's, you know, my children have been through quite a bit. They just have. I'm not saying I'm not a good dad or their mothers weren't good mothers. It's just that, you know, divorce is hard. And it's just all that stuff. Thank God that you get through it. But you're kidding yourself you think it doesn't do a number on your children because it does. It just does. This is going to be a happy sermon. Like, oh, oh, Jesus, Bishop, where are we going with this? You got Gypsy Rose Blanchard. You got to give me some Where's the Jesus in here? He's coming. Um, here, here's the point I want to make. Um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in your mind, okay? Like if, we were, if, if nobody was in here and you could tell the truth, I mean, you can raise your hand if you want to, but I'm, th- this, you can do this privately, but just check this box off. How many of you in here have done something that you wish you hadn't done? Have done? Well, I'm not saying you didn't have to raise your hand. Y'all, y'all, y'all are as transparent as me telling it all. <laughs> How many of you wish you had done something differently in parenting your children? Well, all right. I'm just, I didn't, you didn't have to raise your hand, but I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm saying, I think it's great when people say no regrets. That's fine, but let's qualify that a little bit. When you say no regrets, if you say I'm not I've made peace with reality, that's fine, I'll grant you that. You can come on in. But if you just say no regrets, I did it, and I'm like I don't think I don't think that's right. I don't think that's healthy. Y'all come on in. Um I think if you're uh if you tell the truth, you'll say, no, there's some things, you know, I, I dropped the ball with or I, I overreacted to or whatever. Um, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, you can raise your, but you had something done or said to you in childhood that you still have to deal with even your, in your adult life? Uh, it's it's not even a matter of unforgiveness. It's just like no, this thing that happened or this thing that was said to me, it, it did something to me. I can't pretend that it didn't. And here's here's my issue with traditional church world. We want everybody to be fixed so quickly. There's a scripture I've referred to it before, but it's in what is it? Jeremiah. I want to say chapter sixteen, maybe. It's it's. I know it's Jeremiah where God says he is uh, furious with the priest because he says you have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying peace peace where there is no peace meaning you you were doing ministry like it's a um, um, conveyor belt like you know here's here's all the needs and you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay, bye. And that's not realistic. Can I get really real with you? There are some things in your life that have happened to you that you're never going to get over. You've got to learn to coexist with it. And they don't have to shut you down. And you don't use them as an excuse. But they are things that happen that you know good and well if you spent a few minutes right now thinking about it. You, it, would, it would totally change your mood. There are things that you burned at an altar and said, I'm done with it. And then a couple of weeks later, you wake up one morning and you're like, oh, I'm so not done with it. Because something that somebody says triggers you and makes you think of it. That's that's just where people live. What's this got to do with self-esteem? I'm getting to it. Do you know what I um, got out of those horrible movies we watched yesterday? At least with the Von Erich, when it, it, you know... <laughs> At a certain point it was so freaking cold in that theater, I leaned over to him and I said, I am freezing and depressed. <laughs> what? <laughs> necessarily in that order. For you know, it's Zac Efron and you know there's a lot of eye candy if you, if you hear me. But I don't know I don't know if it's worth it. <laughs> it's like they couldn't be that cute to <laughs> sit through this. But at least at the end of it, they showed a, an actual shot of the survivors. And they, they seem to have, the the one surviving one seems to have uh, done okay. And there's a really sweet scene at the last. And I'm going to get emotional just retelling it. But after the only Von Erich brother is still alive, he's watching his two little boys play. Uh, football and he's sitting in the front yard and he starts crying and they're cute little boys and they come over and they say daddy why are you crying and he said cause I used to be a brother and I'm not a brother now cause there's three brothers that die and he said and I shouldn't y'all, I shouldn't let you see me cry because men aren't supposed to cry cause that's what his dad always said to him his dad was like no matter what happened it's like walk it off man up he, he was like a toxic alpha male and um, never, never took ownership for any of the stuff, you know, the, the way he messed up his boys. Uh, and the the two boys get on either side of him. They say, "Dad, it, it's it's they they clearly they were like seven or eight years old." They said, "It's okay for men to cry." And 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 one of them he puts his he said, "We'll be your brothers." And I'm like, "Okay, okay, uh-huh, that got me. That got me." So there was a little redemption at the end. It wasn't just I'm like. Sweet Jesus, if there's not some kind of happy ending on this thing, I don't know how I'm going to get up out of here. But this is what I kind of, just watching the whole thing yesterday. um, And then another thing, when I was on my feet this morning, I read what Hallie posted. And then um that Cranford, just for some reason, just posted a meme that says, forgive your parents, they were learning too. And I thought, that's interesting because that's kind of what I was going to talk about today. And here's here's what I want to leave with you. Our inner child has a, a, a romantic notion about what parents should be. Some of you might not have even known your parents. I mean, you might have, you might have had no idea. And this, uh, this Gypsy Rose Blanchard, she had always heard that the, the dad never cared anything about her or whatever. And he actually did. He just didn't know where they were and is, has reemerged in their life. And she, that was another thing the, the mother had uh, lied to her about. And if you, any of you that have divorce and children know that sometimes an alienated ex-spouse can say things about you to children that is just absolutely not true. Um, And I've had to deal with that in my life. Um, But I'm looking at that and I thought, you know what? And if you had an ideal upbringing with parents who verbally affirmed you and you feel self-confident, then yay for you. Check out for what I'm about to say because... This will not be applicable to you. If you're sitting there going, I don't know what you're talking about. My mom and daddy never said anything, you know, then good for you, yay for you. Can I also tell you this? Um, it's possible that a parent can resent a child for whatever reason. It's possible that a parent can be jealous of a child, it's possible that sometimes people didn't even want to be a parent. It's possible that sometimes life happened to somebody and they had the baby, whatever, but that wasn't plan A. And they got a a low-grade fever about it their whole life. It's possible that some people just aren't cut out to be maternal or paternal. Some people just never got the hang of it. I think I'm a good father, but I'm, I don't think I'm a good father in the conventional sense. Not in the way that people, traditionally I was taught the way a father should be. I'm, I, You know, I I did things very differently with my kids. And um, um, no regrets about it, but I'm just saying, uh, you have to learn skills. Some people never develop them. Some people just aren't good parents. <laughs> Some people have issues, and I'm talking about your own parents, that you might not know anything about. Some things don't come to light till after they die. And you're like, whoa, I never knew that. Well, that makes, that makes a whole bunch of other stuff make sense now. Like, oh, I didn't know that. Just a, a a small thing that I did not know until the last year or so. My my dad was so um, germ phobic that there's there's no way to tell you. <laughs> there's no way to tell you what it was like. I mean, doctors used to say you're going to have to let this kid actually get dirty because he's so you keep him so clean. That he's vulnerable to everything. When when my dad would b- boil the b- the nipples for my bottles, because mom didn't breastfeed, he'd melt them, because he he'd boil them for something. Like, like it was it was cleanliness to When I my whole life, when I walk in a room, he'd be like, "Don't raise dust." Uh, my, and I remember as a kid thinking, "What are you talking What are you talking about?" And if I'd walk through, he'd start doing his nose. "You're raising dust," you know. "You're like everything had to like." And sweet Jesus in the morning, don't suggest you're, you might throw up because that's, that's there's no way to, t- there's no way to. T- and to the point, I mean, I used to joke with him about it. Like, you know, I say, you know, this is ha- what happened with, um, who was this multi-billionaire uh, Howard Hughes? You know, he was like a super clean freak. And in the later part of his life, he walked around in Kleinox, Kleenex boxes and, and kept all of his urine in jars he thought bathrooms were unsanitary and um, I never knew this but mom said something recently about a trip she took with my paternal grandmother and she said we were in a hotel but she wouldn't sleep on the hotel sheets she had to bring her own sheets and she brought Lysol in and she sanitized everything she was such a clean freak and I said oh well that helps me understand dad a little bit more He was raised by a wackadoodle. (laughs) Like, like now that makes sense. I didn't know that. Because I didn't know her that well. I mean, I only remember spending the night at their house once when I was a kid. But I had no idea that she was... I mean, I like things clean, but to have to take your own sheets into a hotel, it's like, just don't stay in a hotel. I mean, if you're going to be that phobic about it, you probably shouldn't travel. We you don't know what nasty stuff, all kind of nasty stuff has been done in there. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, how are you going to, you can't live in the world like, like that's, the world's not even that clean. <laughs> um, here's my point in saying this. If you don't just give the people in your life the benefit of the doubt, just let them say, "Yeah, they said stuff and it hurt; it was painful." Because if if you don't just come to terms with it and accept it for what it is, and make peace with it, and take them off a pedestal, what you are going to keep doing is replaying the thing in your mind, saying, "How could they have said that to me? How could they say?" It's never going to make sense to you. You just need to say, "You know what." They messed up. And that's on them. And I'm going to have to process it. I I keep seeing this meme show that says uh, something to the effect of life gets good when you realize you're the one you've been waiting for. And I think, man, there's such a truth to that. If you're saying, you know, I just don't believe in myself. If I just had somebody to love me, And tell me I'm wonderful. You are setting yourself up for disaster. If you think, I just can't believe in myself until somebody believes in me. It's never going to happen. I'm telling you. And if it does, you're going to set up some codependent thing that's going to be a nightmare. You have to You can't go into a relationship being half a person. I'm so broken, I just need somebody else. Because you know what you're going to do? You're going to attract another broken person. And you're going to drag all your baggage in with you. And then are going to drag all their baggage in with them. And y'all are going to say, oh, this isn't working. You're supposed to be making me feel wonderful. Why do you think they married you? They want you to make them feel wonderful. I'm not saying it doesn't help you to have somebody to love you of course that's wonderful but the love that somebody has for you should be a confirmation to what you already know about yourself i've said this before i'll say it again it's one of my favorite i mean i just blocked somebody this week who <laughs> i haven't blocked anybody in a long time but anytime there's a, a bunch of pictures of Ken and me. He will like on every one of Ken and every one of me and he'll he'll he's messaged me before saying, You don't deserve somebody like Ken and I've just let it go. So finally this I hadn't seen him on Facebook in a really long time and he reemerged this week and I've seen all these pictures of Ken and I'm like, you know what? I don't think I wanna look at this anymore. Bye. <laughs> Cause clearly I think I've made it obvious he's a wonderful person. My cousin LaDonna wrote me, we hadn't been together too long, she wrote me, she said, Ken's one of those kindest, sweetest, most wonderful, you know, which I don't disagree with any of that. And she said, and you deserve him. I said, thank you, thank you for that part. Because sometimes people think, you don't realize how, how good you have it. Well, no, we both have it good. I mean, I'm a catch too. Thank you very much. And you have to remember that because if you don't, you'll start thinking, oh my God, how did I ever get so lucky to have this person? I hope they don't ever leave me because then I'll be nobody. You better not think that because you know what? You will subliminally reject somebody doing your own weird self-fulfilling prophecy. So here's, here's my point. If you've been hurt, you you got like, for some reason I was thinking this this week. Somebody that used to go to church in the now, uh, I remember when I first met them, th- it was a couple, and she was, I think we'd had dinner at their house or something, and she was saying something about her dad How he's just so so wounded and broken, and he can't go to church, and he hates God, and you know, just. uh, And I said, "Well, what happened?" She said, "Well, he really felt like he was called to the ministry." And I don't know if this is. I'm assuming Rama Bible Training Center is still there, but back in the day, Rama, which was the the school out of Tulsa, for people who were part of like the Word of Faith movement, that was the gold standard. That's where you went if you were going in that type of ministry. And uh, it wasn't even like a bona fide college. It was a, like a, a ministry school. Who I can't imagine would be turning anybody down for anything. I mean, I've ran a Bible school too. You, you were happy to take anybody. Like, the only thing, you got tuition money? Yes. You know, that was the only criteria. If you can pay for it, we accept you. And she said that he, years earlier, felt called to the ministry, and sent an application to Rhema Bible Training Center and never heard back from them. And it just ruined his life. Like it just shut him down. And I said, why wouldn't... First of all, I can't imagine them turning anybody down, much less your dad. I said, it was probably a clerical error. Why Why didn't you follow up on it? I said, even if a school doesn't accept you, they usually will send a letter to say sorry we're not accepting it but like they they would just ignore the letter and she said it was so devastating it's like it just shut him down it ruined his life and i said what man that's a way overreaction to something like if you hadn't heard from him why didn't somebody pick up the phone and call them and say we sent this application in just wondering has this ever happened to you where you thought somebody was mad at you or hadn't returned a call or something and then you realize oh they never got the they never even got the message in the first place. So I got this whole drama going on in my head. Oh, they didn't return that text. I know why they didn't. You know what? I thought something was up. I just couldn't get, be getting a vibe from them. They didn't return that text. I know it. But you know what? It's probably... I probably deserve it because... I have not been a good friend and really hasn't that been my problem my whole life? Maybe, maybe I am self absorbed and don't care about anybody. And you've got this whole thing going, you know, maybe I'm just going to die old and alone because I just, I can't, I can't seem to bond with anybody. And then you find out, you look at your phone again like, oh, I never hit send (laughs) to the tech. They never got it. So I got this whole thing in my head. So here's what I'm trying to get across to you you got to know that you, know that you know, 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 that you are who you say you are, regardless. If the person closest to you says the most hurtful thing in the world to you, that it might hurt your feelings, but it doesn't shut you down. Do you hear me? Well, you don't know what my parents... said. Look, I'd counsel with a guy one time who his mother was like kind of a charismatic type minister and when he was a young kid d- drowned and she pulled him up out of the water and and technically raised him back to life. And it was like a miracle they told for years. Well, years later he did something. She got really mad at him and said, I should have never raised you from the dead. And it just, there's no way to tell you how, how it messed him up. Now, I'm not excusing her. I'm saying you got to be able to take a hit like that if you're going to survive. you got to be able to say, she should have never said that and it broke my heart, but that's on her. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. She might have been having a bad day, whatever. If, if you can talk to her about it, fine. But can I tell you something else? There are people who have hurt you that you can go face it out with them and it still doesn't make any better because they still don't get it. You ever had one of those deals where somebody says, I'm sorry you were so hurt by it. You're like, no, nope, that's not. No, I'd rather you say, I'm sorry for what I said. No, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry you were so easily offended. Like, Oh, you just made it worse. Can I just say, if you can communicate, that's great, but there's just a whole hell of a lot of stuff you've just got to let go. If you're if you're going to know who you are, you're going to have to learn to be the bigger person. You're going to have to learn to let stuff go. You're going to have to say, yeah, they said it, and it hurt me, but you know what? In the long run, it made me stronger, and it made me examine. Is that the truth about me? Like, it certainly is not the truth, and I would have never known that about myself if they hadn't said it to me because it forced me to look at myself. I've said this to you before, but if every one of you stood up and said, Today, Bishop, you know what? We can't do it anymore. We can't listen to your stories anymore. You're just not anointed. You know we, we've clearly been deceived, and we followed you all these years. We've got to we've got to find another pastor. I can't tell you; it wouldn't mess with my head. <laughs> I will tell you what I told <laughs> what I told the Rogers <laughs> what I'll tell you. Let's just say they can't leave. As I'm gonna tell you this, I said if y'all leave me, it's gonna be one of those murder suicide things. I'm just, just just fair warning. I've survived some other people. I thought they'll never leave, but they did. I said if y'all do, I'm just gonna I'm gonna have to drive out to Madison and say I'm killing y'all. I'm killing me. So, so they're stuck. Fortunately, there you know there are no spring chickens, so it can't it can't it can't last that long. But for however long they've got, however long they got left, they're stuck with me because I'm like, no, I've let other people slide. I'll kill y'all. And I just will. I I shouldn't have said it, but I that's what I feel. I'm like, oh oh no, y'all aren't gonna do that. But I'm saying, if God forbid you said that, I wouldn't. I'm not saying I wouldn't have a bad day, but you know what? After I, I would think, well, you know what? They're just wrong. They're just wrong. That's not true. I know I'm anointed. I'm not saying everything I've ever said has been perfect. But that's why I never asked for a show of hands. Last time I said, how many of y'all have ever been offended at something I've said? And everybody's like, I'm like, well that was that was a little quick. Raise your hands. But you understand what I'm saying? It's like that's a very radical thought, but you nearly have to take it to that extreme to say, if everybody in the world told me I wasn't anointed, I'd still have to say, no, I, I am. I know the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Do I need to learn something from this, whatever happened with us? Sure. Do I need to look at something? Yeah, I could improve you know, on this area, that area. But when it comes to the anointing, like, no, you're just wrong. You have misperceived a situation. And you have to be that way about it whoever hurt you in childhood, whatever they did. I'm not even talking about forgiving them. I'm just talking to say, yeah, that's what they said is, it, is what it is. Hurt like hell, but it somehow served to make me the person I am, and I just can't be shut down by it. You have to know who you are. That's why I love when she says, it's not as difficult as spending our lives running from it. Like, I don't think you should... um be maudlin and just in a mode of telling negative things, whatever. Uh, But there's something about the truth that just makes you free. When Eddie sang Christmas Eve, he got and talked about how he was a teenager when he got married and his girlfriend was pregnant. Like, well, that's telling it all. But you know what? It was like, well, that's that's your story and you're owning it and it, it also helps us know who you are now. Well, okay, that, that's a little bit of information. The key is we learn to use all of that for our advantage. Exactly. Exactly. For our good. Exactly. You can't give anybody that much power over you to say, I was doing okay until they said that and then it just broke me down. Why are they that important to you? Well, that was my mama. So she's just a woman. Well, that was my daddy. She, he's just a man. They're not. They they weren't superheroes. You learn it as you watch your parents become elderly and see who they really, really are. You you have to learn a certain amount of grace to say, you know, they're just, they're just people that, you know, did the best they could with the information they had at the time. And I I'm wasting my time trying to re. Write history because whatever happened happened and here i am i'm okay that's when again may i refer to a movie but you know because they kept it in the musical too when mister comes out and he says celie where are you gonna go you're black you're ugly you're poor you're a woman like he goes right down the list here's all the things you could and and she owns it she you know she says i may be black i may be poor i may she's i may even be ugly but dear God, I'm here. And they kept it in them. I think they they do a song about it where she sings, I'm here, like, okay, fine. You think I'm ugly? Fine. I was, I was doing a a dive of uh because I just watched, it. I was looking at some Fantasia singing some other things. There was some thing she sang at a few years ago where she comes down the aisle singing Doctor Feel Good by Aretha Franklin, and she's got on it it's a long dress but like the front of it is I mean it's very provocative and I thought well girl because you know she's not conventionally beautiful in that sense and I thought well she's owning it like she's like here's my legs whether you like them or not I mean you're gonna I'm out I watched the whole thing I'm like all right Fantasia the girlfriend's got legs like all right you know what I mean it's like Jared said what I'm saying. I thought, well, she owned it. I mean, she's not saying, I can't, you know, well, you said, well, that was kind of offensive because Dr. Feelgood's a very, you know, it's a very sexual song. And she's, she sings it gospel slash sexual style. Just go, go, Google it on YouTube. You can find it. Google Fantasia's Legs. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you know what? She, she's feeling herself like all right good and i sat there watched the whole thing i'm not even into looking at women's legs i'm like well i gotta say (laughs) i'm watching it (laughs) i might have watched it a second time i don't know i may or may not have do y'all understand what I'm saying? I'm saying an, acknowledge the fact that something was said to you or not said to you or, not, or something was not ideal or somebody hurt your feelings or whatever. And then go on with your life. Let me finish this. Um, you know, August Wilson that wrote the, the, play, the playwright, the piano lesson? He says confront the dark parts of yourself and work to banish them with illumination and forgiveness. Your willingness to wrestle with your demons will cause your angels to sing. And I, I just love that because it's saying, go ahead and look at all the negative stuff and wrestle with those demons. When You know when I say demons, I'm talking about the stuff that's in your head. And just go ahead and look at them and say, there they are. and They're, and they're ugly and they are what they are. And because I wrestled with them, I'm a better person for it. Because once you own your own stuff, nobody can accuse you of... <laughs> somebody keeps saying, it's not all about you. They say it long enough, you'll be like, hey, you know what I learned from that? not always about me. <laughs> Touche. Fair point. It's not always about me. <laughs> well, you're just selfish. Yeah, sometimes I yeah, probably can't be. It's just very liberating to say, yeah, that's... Well, Bishop, sometimes I feel like you just don't have time for me. Yeah, sometimes not not so much. (laughs) I'm just telling you the truth. Like, well, get to the point. What are we talking about? I mean, most of y'all now know, like, whatever you're going to say to them, bottom line it. (laughs) There's a guy I used to know, he'd be talking to me and he, in the middle of talking, he's, oh my God, did you just glaze over? I'm like, no, I'm listening to you. What? I'm like, what? Just know after, like when I get through here, I've just talked for an hour. So I've said all my words for the day. So if you're going to say words to me, know that I may not have that many to come back with. Thank God for emojis. Would to God we could just communicate in like heart, thumbs up, Smiley face, smiley face, smiley face. Praying hands. (laughs) I just love the efficiency of emojis. You know what I mean? It's like somebody writes, somebody dies, I'm like, tearful guy, broken heart, prayer. Because what else am I going to say? I can't, I mean, it sucks that that happened. I know it hurts. I'm praying for you, I'm crying with you. I mean if I'm closer to you, I'll say a little more, but it may be tearful face, <laughs> broken heart, praying hands. But Bishop, it's real dream. Praying hands, praying hands, praying hands, praying. <laughs> that's that's code for Shantala da da that's what that is. If you get lots of praying hands, that means I'm speaking in tongues. <laughs> um, I love this. I've said this before, but it's bears repeating. You're allowed to be both a masterpiece and a work in progress simultaneously. Doesn't mean that everything you say is perfect, but you're still a masterpiece. And I mean, you've got to know it. You've got to believe it. You've got to own it. I am awesomely and wonderfully made. If you need to lose weight this year, lose some weight. I need to lose some weight. But in the meantime, I'm, s- I'm not going to look at the, in the mirror and cuss, curse myself. I'm going to say, well, I'm awesomely and wonderfully made and I'm at the age where metabolism slows down. You know what you've got to do? Do it. But I'm not going to look in the mirror and go, I hate you. No, I'm not. And then finally, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, famous statement, so true, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. So if somebody got inside your head and made you feel less than, you've got to examine wh- why they had that kind of power over you and is that what you really thought like if somebody said to me i really believe you're a little green man from mars there's no matter how many times they said it i'd be like you're cra- i am not no but you are you're a little green man no i'm not so i shouldn't believe anything else that somebody says about me that is not true and if i think it's true then i need to examine why do i even Why do I think that? Why do I think I'm a little green man for Mars? I am not. I'm going to put a comma here because we're going to go even a little deeper next week. Nobody has stormed out of here, so I'm assuming I got no Pharisees in the room. Let's all stand. Did y'all get anything out of this today? Um. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to end today. Let, let me remain standing. Play the outro, please, because we need to. We need to keep doing this. Just stay right where you are, if you uh, will, please. Five zero four four. You will then receive a notification that you successfully completed your donation. You may also visit BishInTheNow.com and click the support tab to give there as well. When you contribute to Metron, you're also donating to the charity or organization of the month. Thank you for your investment into Metron. If you're making a check, make it to JESM. If you have cash, just pay it forward and bless somebody. Charles, play some meditation music for me. This is, you don't have to do this if you don't want to, but it's the first Sunday of the month. I had said that I was going to anoint you, so on your way out, uh, you'll just, I'm going to stand right here. You'll just go and make a line, like not a line this way, but you'll like this way, and I'll anoint you, and then you can uh, move into your new year, okay? If, you don't, if you're not feeling it, you don't have to do that. If you would like to be, uh, you can be. Spirit of God, we, as I anoint people for the new year, we believe for you to do more than we can ask or think. The anointing oil represents the Holy Spirit and the setting apart. So in doing this today, we embrace new realities, new self-concepts, new awareness. We believe for the best in the new year.